To hire drivers, you've got to work fast and smart. Did you know Driver Pulse, a driver-facing mobile app from 10th Street, is two to three times more effective than texting and four to five times more effective than email at getting drivers to respond? Driver Pulse is the largest source of free driver applications in trucking, downloaded by almost two million drivers to find jobs, complete training, and communicate with carriers. Companies find who they're looking for, and drivers find their homes with Driver Pulse from 10th Street a name you trust. That's 10street.com, T-E-N-street.com. Welcome back to another edition of Check Call. Today we're covering the September market update. Don't forget to subscribe to Check Call the newsletter on FreightWaves.com if you haven't already. Before we dive into our guest interview, there's some news in the world that you should check out. A government audit has determined that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration should make its complaint database more transparent to improve the usefulness to truck drivers. A report by the U.S. Government Accountability Office concluded that the FMCSA does not make all categories of complaint data publicly available, contrary to the U.S. Department of Transportation policy. Specifically, the FMCSA does not make any public information available on complaints against trucking companies, bus companies, or electric logging devices providers. As a result, the FMCSA may be missing opportunity to improve transparency and collaboration with industry partners. The agency hasn't made public release of the information a priority. FMCSA officials told the Government Accountability Office that official that they have no current plans to make all categories of complaint data public, but they may consider doing so in the future. The Government Accountability Office recommends FMCSA change that stance. Recommendation 1 among 14 in the report is that the FMCSA administrator make all make data on all categories of complaints available to the public as appropriate and in line with DOT's data, data management policy. This week's sonar chart of the show is the reefer outbound tender rejection rates for Pendleton, Oregon. OTRI continues to surge, increasing 1,667 basis points from 23.7 to 43.9. During the same period, reefer outbound tender volumes fell 20.48%, and the surge in reefer rejection rates pushed the rejection rates from Pendleton across van, flatbed, and reefer equipment types to 27.6, a surge of 1,177 basis points from 15.83% on September 11th. Today, we are joined by David Spencer, the Vice President of Market Intelligence at Arrive Logistics. Welcome back for our monthly market update, David. Well, thanks for having me, Mary. Good to be back. I, uh, I'm kind of excited about this one because I don't know, it might just be me hallucinating and, you know, being crazy, but I feel like there's something that resembles some market improvement here. I think we're starting to see a turn. Um, I don't know if it's just a short term turn or whatever, but we'll get into it today. Um, starting right off the bat, um, something that we've seen or that, you know, you guys brought up is that shippers have been kind of securing their own private fleets and moving that way versus, contracted in spot freight. Um, do you think that shippers have done this intentionally for a reason? What's kind of the what's kind of the gist behind this? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting trend that um, you know, we heard from uh the private fleets we work with, uh, the investment that they're doing, um, you know, to expand their their fleet and and also something that we've seen reported on a lot recently. I know um uh Act Research, um, you know, uh based out of Indiana, they put recently a lot of news out there around um some of the information that they've seen around private fleet growth and, and investment and i think um they're even uh behind cast uh cast's take that 
uh, the part of the 10% decline in volumes on a year-over-year basis is, is, is attributable to, or a large part of that is attributable to uh, private fleets uh, stealing volume from four higher carriers, essentially uh, limiting demand, um, but not necessarily resulting in, in a decline in overall freight tonnage. So it's a really interesting trend. Um, something, like I said, we've heard from our carriers, something we've heard, um, you know, as well, and starting to see data to support some of these trends now. Uh, some of the data providers out there. And, and really, I think the strategy uh, was something that private fleets looked at during you know, the peak of COVID, uh, something that they looked at and said, hey, if we had more of our own trucks, we'd probably be paying a lot less uh, for, for trucks these days. And uh, you know, while that may not make as much sense these days, uh, certainly there's, there's opportunities for um, those with private fleets to look at utilizing the assets, not just to service their own uh, d- demand needs, but but also to help support uh, for higher needs and, and, and potentially get a little bit more revenue on those trucks. And uh, for those that are able to make the, the numbers work, it, it can make a lot of sense. I kind of, uh, when you picture, when you mentioned that uh, private fleets were kind of taking freight from contracted or for hire carriers, for some reason, the first thing that popped into mind was like that animated burglar with the bag and it's just like private fleets like sneaking away with it. Um, I know that's not actually how it happens, but in my brain, that's how it made that connection because apparently I live in cartoon land every day. Well, it's really interesting when you think about it, too, because when you start to think about any, like you said, uh, a market recovery, this this trend can have an impact on that. It could extend a cycle bottom in a number of ways, right? Uh, if we were to see an increase in demand, particularly at shippers who have invested in private fleets, well... Now they have a lot more capacity to handle that themselves. So you see a lot less overflow going to the for hire market. Additionally, you know, in the for hire marketplace, if we see rate recovery, it becomes more advantageous for these fleets to start, um, you know, looking to opportunities to run uh, these assets for hire. And then that that floods the, the for hire market with capacity. And both of those have sort of deflationary pressures on the market. And and certainly that's something that um, we're, we're being mindful of when we're thinking about our forecast now. And, and it's a really interesting trend as we think about uh, what impact we could see from uh, changing market conditions in the next year. I was going to say, we haven't really seen this kind of growth in the private fleet world for the past few months, so or at least, I guess, in like the past year. So I'm curious as to kind of what made that ship, what made shippers kind of shift into that Um Obviously, we'll have to probably pick some shippers' brains about that for uh, as to what made them make the switch to that kind of private fleet. Um, but the other thing that could come in and kind of disrupt some of these patterns and the volumes that we have in the freight market is none other than our humble friend hurricane season. Um, so we've already seen Idalia this year. Um, the big one out in the Atlantic never made landfall, which we appreciate. Um do we should we expect to see a couple more disruptions as a result of hurricane season? Because this is, I think, in September it's when like forty percent of hurricanes hit for the year, um, and so we're not quite out of the woods there yet. Uh, we still got October to go before I think hurricane season is officially over. So, what do you think? Are we going to see potentially see some disruptions there? Well, it's it's really hard to predict what's going to happen with with these hurricanes. So. Um, you know, I think what I could speak to is if we do see what it would take to see a major disruption. I mean, it, you know, we'd be talking about a, a Harvey or a Sandy type storm if we're looking at really a big market disruptor. Um, you know, even with Adalia, pretty impactful storm. 
uh, I'd say luckily, but, um, you know, not luckily it may landfall, but luckily it may landfall in a very sparsely populated area. Um, you know, that really limited some of the impact. Uh, it did make travel through the area very difficult um, and create some challenges for a week or two. Um, you know, and I think if we see other storms like that come through, that's more likely the type of scenario I would, I, I think we'd see play out these days is, is more likely localized impact, uh, regional volatility for a period of time. And so that disruption is kind of, um, you know, fades away pretty quickly. Uh, really a lot of the, the market vulnerability still has a way to go before we look at a storm like that, uh, being able to be pretty disruptive, um, you know, uh, with it not being one of those major storms. That's a fair point. I mean, you know, nobody really wants a hurricane to make landfall, especially a massive, impactful one. Um, but I think it's, I don't know, I personally think it's not out of the question to see another one. I'm hoping it's in the Idalia range um, because I'm kind of good on like natural disasters for a while. Like I'm just, I'm good. Like we don't need, anymore. like we've already hit our quota for the year. We don't need anything else. Um, so one of the things that I guess, I don't know if it's usually typical around this time of the year, just because I don't usually pay attention to it, but it's that reefer tightness in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we're seeing higher rejection rates. I want to say, um, Oregon is seeing some rejection rates at like 40% or something like that, depending on the time of, or depending on when you look at the outbound tender rejection index. Why is the Pacific Northwest seeing such incredible reefer re or rejections? Yeah, well, I, I think you have to look to the reefer market in general. And this is something we've seen with the other, um, you know, seasonal components with, with as that produce season has shifted around. So, you know, we saw this a few weeks ago to a month ago in the upper north, uh, upper Midwest, right? Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana. Um, you know, and, and we saw this in the southeast um, more in, in summer peak season, right? And so uh, as produce season shifts around, you see this type of volatility, you start to see tender rejection rates resembling what we saw during COVID. That's certainly something to pay attention to because that's a signal that maybe the reefer market is a little bit further along towards becoming balanced and becoming vulnerable and potentially could lead the band market in terms of a freight market recovery. And so um, you know, that type of routing guide disruption that we see in line with normal seasonal patterns here, uh, you know, that's a good indicator to us that things might be starting to shift on that side. And, and that does make a little, make sense, right? I think where you've seen a lot of pullback um, is not necessarily in, in food, right, or, or, or other areas here from a demand perspective. Uh, and, and, and you see a lot more stability there. And uh, certainly that's, that, that could be a cause for... Um, you know, better fundamentals on this on the reefer equipment side for uh, a recovery. I I get I I'm I'm on board with the produce part. It's just to me, it seems like this year it has extraordinarily high rejection rates. So I'm curious as to what's kind of happening up there. If there is a lot of reefer business on top of produce, or if it's just the sheer amount of produce season that's happening. Um, but you know, maybe maybe it's just a good excuse to go up to Oregon and drive around and see what happens. I hear the I hear it's beautiful there i haven't been no but i think you know potato harvest and um you know other seasonal other seasonal components or seasonal demand surges from that that perspective up there um that's that's what we're seeing drive this so uh no other indications that this is coming from any kind of other special uh events at this point but yeah i mean it's just a good indication that uh you know capacity is going to struggle to keep up with these demand surges and that's something we expect to see on the reefer equipment 
um, through year end. You know, there's a lot of conversation around what to expect from peak season. Uh, it seems like people are focused on what that means for van, but um, from this conversation, I'd say we should be paying particular attention to what we would see on the reefer equipment side, you know, because it is a peak season for reefer as well. You think about the holidays, um, turkeys around Thanksgiving, et cetera, uh, freeze protect. Um, reefer demand does surge uh, as we get into the later part of fourth quarter. I do feel like when everyone talks about like spot rates and everything like that, reefer more often than not just kind of gets like forgotten about. It's like vans it's like the there's dry van is like the golden child and then oh well i guess there's reefer too and out that brings up a good point you know you really do have to pay attention to reefer rates as well because you know they do ultimately impact dry van at the end of the day and uh i i I, yeah i'm on board but reefer is kind of a little uh under 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 looked at yeah certainly something we're advising shippers to pay attention to through your end uh speaking of year end we're wrapping up the third quarter we're heading into the fourth quarter what do you, what are you guys, what is that crystal ball that you definitely have? Um, what is that looking like for Q4? Are we going to see big upticks? Um, you know, are we going to, are we going to see any decreases or is it going to remain pretty steady to what we're looking at now with some of that, uh, like that regional demand in certain areas? Um, but overall it's going to remain pretty consistent. Yeah. I think the latter part of, of what you said there, um, you know, those pockets of, of regional volatility from a rate perspective. Um, you know, I don't want to get everyone to get lulled to sleep when we say muted peak season, right? It still means we're going to see uh, demand surges. The National Retail Federation has mentioned that, um, you know, retailers have a, a pretty optimistic outlook for the remainder of the year. And um, we should expect relatively strong imports um, to persist through year end. And, and um, the muted peak season uh, at the beginning here could finish off a little bit stronger than people expect. Um, like I said, I don't want uh, everyone out there to be lulled to sleep by that conversation. I think there's still going to be pockets of volatility, certainly areas to be uh, mindful as, uh, of as we see on an annual basis in the fourth quarter. Nothing's going to change there except you know, maybe a little bit less volatility than normal. Um, but like you said, as a whole, I don't think we're talking about big market disruption major routing guide compliance issues across most lanes, just those that typically typically see challenges, uh, you know, that time of year. I, I, I can kind of get on board with that. You know, it's, uh, I do think everyone's kind of thinking the peak, the muted peak season is going to look a lot like it did last year, but I think it's going to be a little stronger than last year, but not quite, you know, the insane scrambling to find trucks and uh, making things happen at the last minute and doing a bunch of Hail Mary pr- prayers throws like we've seen in the past. Um, but no, I'm fully on board with that. The one thing that I'm kind of curious about though, is fuel. We've seen it. It has like hit up to record highs over the summer and now it's kind of dipped down and it's heading back up. Do we expect that to be a pretty big factor into the end of the year or is it just kind of going to remain, you know, up and down, up and down, like we've seen it for the past few months? You know, fuel volatility, uh, I think we've kind of rewritten uh, what's normal in terms of uh, fuel volatility over the last uh, you know year and a half, two years here? Um, I, I don't think it's ever been been this volatile and this up and down. So really hard to predict, right? But it does seem like we should um, anticipate fuel should remain elevated for an extended period of time here. Continue to see West Texas uh, crude prices increasing. Um, you know, uh, all the indications point towards continued elevated fuel prices. And, and unfortunately, that's bad news for carriers, right? I think uh, particularly those with heavy spot exposure that aren't running on fuel schedules, 
largely these carriers don't necessarily all work uh, that adjusting fuel into their their um, into what they're quoting. Uh, what that ends up meaning is less money in the pockets of these carriers. Um, a lot of them being owner operators, right? So uh, you know, essentially, what I'm saying is, if you're, you're quoting the same all in as you were a month ago. Um, less of that is going in your pocket and more of that is going towards paying for fuel. Uh, something to be mindful of on the carrier side and, and certainly given the poor trucking conditions we're seeing today, uh, this could be another accelerator to capacity exiting the market, something that we've seen a lot of uh, or we've seen pick up in, in recent months. So kind of on that same vein of capacity leaving the market, you know, we've seen uh, we haven't seen as much carrier growth and, you know, there's not as much trucking employment. What is what kind of effect will this have on capacity, you know, heading into the end of the year? You know, uh, carriers have largely been been patient on the for hire side, um, you know, but the last few months, we really started to see the data shift. Uh, trucking employment is down more than 40,000 jobs over the last three months. Um, you know, we've seen 10 of the last 11 months. We've seen negative net growth um, in carriers out there. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean all that capacity is leaving the market. Right. But we're certainly seeing, you know, uh, greater indications that that shift is starting to occur, uh, at least starting to see more of that in the data, something that we've expected for uh, a longer period of time now that the data just has not been showing. Um, you know, we're expecting that to continue, uh, unfortunately, for carriers, um, you know, but that's ultimately what's needed to, to, to change this market, um, to get the market back into balance and to create vulnerability, which will lead to uh, rate increases, which is what I think those that, that do have the right uh, financial structure that, that, that have navigated the market conditions well and, and that will survive this will be able to, to benefit from. I like that. You know, it's the kind of that we've all been talking about weathering the storm and hanging in there and everything. So I, um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty optimistic that as long as we can just make it through the end of the year, I've got big hopes for 2024 and turning this around and making things a little bit better for everybody. There's certainly signs that we're moving that direction. So speaking of those signs, um, the ultimate question that everybody's been, you know, wondering, have we hit the end? Is this it? Do you think that like this market correction that we went through, because obviously when we were at the highest of highs and then we went to the lowest of lows, naturally we have to have that correction. Do you think we finally hit the end of that market correction? Do you think that there's going to be another one? Um, or do you think shippers have finally like finished with their destocking phase? What is your what's your what's your shot that you're calling for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think the the rest of the year, I think this story is pretty well written at this point. I think we have a pretty good idea that we're not expecting any kind of, um, you know, surprises. You know, as we think about next year, though, uh, you know, our approach, Mary, it's 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 dissecting supply and demand. Right. <laughs> so what are we seeing on that front? You know, I'll, I'll quote, um, you know, Bob Costello from the ATA, right, saying that it's becoming more clear and more evident that tonnage uh, bottomed in April, and we, we've begun the slow climb up from there. Um, so on the demand side of things, that's a really optimistic view that we've seen demand stabilize, right? Um, hopefully, when we're talking about destocking, playing its course, uh, retailers looking to replenish inventories next year, or at least not seeing a lack of orders as a result of continuing to destock, that should be a positive impact uh, on freight demand and freight volumes. There are some concerns on the manufacturing side. We've seen a pullback in new orders, um, you know, for for 10 plus months. Uh, you know, we're getting some mixed signals there. But ultimately, I think 
unless we were to see some type of, of, of major economic fallout of some kind, uh, we see demand stability, which I think is important because uh, trucking conditions are poor right now. Uh, we're talking about carrier exits. Uh, if that continues, which we expect it to, that creates more balance in the market and, and more vulnerability. Um, the trends we're seeing in the private fleet space, uh, they inherently have a higher operating cost structure. Uh, that creates upward pressure on rates as well. So uh, everything we're seeing right now is looking towards setting up for um, you know rates coming back up next year. So have we hit the bottom? I believe so. Uh, are we looking at rate increases next year? I believe so. Um, do we see some kind of crazy inflationary cycle where you know rates go up 40, 50 percent? I'm, I'm not there yet, um, but I do think we begin to see a recovery next year, and I think that's what we all want. I think that's kind of the general consensus going around is, you know, we've we've hit that bottom. Now we're just, you know, just like anyone who's hit rock bottom, you got to bite and claw your way out. So I think we're just like the guy on the side of the mountain with the ice picks, just like one pick at a time climbing ourselves up um, just to try to get to the top. And uh, like you said, I don't I would honestly be shocked if next year we find ourselves in a uh, super inflationary market where it's kind of like you're just printing your own money. I'd be very shocked if we end up there. But one thing that I'm not shocked about is it's time for our favorite part of the the show where we get to ask you yet another question. So this one is kind of interesting one. Uh, David, if you could have any superpower, but it only worked on Wednesdays, what would it be? I don't really know how the Wednesday thing comes into play here. Like, I was trying to think, what do I do on Wednesdays that like I really like would want to do better, right? And then I'm like, well, I could probably do a lot of good in the world with a superpower, but like let's let's keep it selfish here. Um, I don't know. Uh, living in Austin, Texas, I miss my Chicago food. Maybe on Wednesdays, I'd love to be able to teleport like Portillos, like a beef sandwich, right to like my kitchen table. That that seems like a pretty good uh, superpower for. Uh, for, for me here on, on Wednesdays, uh, you know, clearly focusing on myself. I like that, though. You just like snap your fingers and whatever food you want goes. Is it exclusively just for Portillo's or is it like food from anywhere that you've had or that you've had? Chicago, anywhere in Chicago, like maybe from my mom's kitchen, you know, uh, maybe from my favorite Italian food places, maybe my favorite deep dish spot. You know, we're not going to name names because I'm not trying to make enemies here, but I think we can all agree on Portillo's. So I went with that. I like that. That's a pretty good one. Um, thank you. Uh, if anyone wants to, you know, give you their opinion on what has the best deep dish pizza or uh, if they have any questions, where can they find you outside the show? Uh, you can find me on, on, on uh, first and foremost, ArriveLogistics.com. Um, you know, navigate to our insights page. There's my contact information there. You can reach out to, to our team there. Um, you know, all the research and all the intelligence that we're putting together is going to be available there for you as well. But um, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you know, David Spencer is a pretty popular name, but you could probably find my find me on the uh, on the Arrive uh, Logistics LinkedIn page, um, or right here on uh, Freightwaves uh, uh, Check Call uh, on a regular basis. So um, all of the above, Mary. Thank you again for the time and a pleasure as always. Find Check Call the podcast anywhere else you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to check out all the other incredible Freightwaves podcasts, such as Tracks Through Time and Truck Tech. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash CheckCom. See you on the internet.